7, you'll see how we move from creation to fall, to redemption, to consummation. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. This is our blessed hope. Christ is coming again soon. Beloved, in these last weeks, we have looked at the genealogy of Christ. Five mothers named, from Tamar to Rahab to Ruth to Bathsheba to Mary. They showed us how we need a Savior. They pointed to the coming of Christ. And now today we look at the end of the story, an end that is still future from our day, the return of Christ. That today we think not only of Christ in the manger, but of Christ who died for our sins, who rose, who is reigning, and who will return as a victorious, conquering warrior to judge the living and the dead, to triumph over his and our enemies. Today we look at the book of Revelation, being reminded that our home is in heaven, We sometimes forget that. On our good days, on our bad days, we need to be reminded that we are to rest in the promise of God in Christ, that Jesus is coming again to take us to himself, that where he is, we will be also, by faith in Christ. This passage in Revelation is something new, but it is based on something old. In Genesis, Adam fled from God. He was barred from the tree of life after he sinned. Now, because of the work of the last Adam, Jesus, God dwells with us, and we one day will eat of the tree of life forever. The acorn in Genesis 3 is now an oak tree in Revelation 21. We see first the picture of the new heaven and the new earth. As you read the book of Revelation, this is apocalyptic literature. You say, what does that mean? Meaning, to reveal, to unveil, to uncover something, to see something through words, symbols, images, and pictures. Revelation is the gospel 
in visible word picture language. It's telling us about the triumph of the Lamb. John, the apostle, has a tour of heaven. Not like some people claim to tour heaven, but literally an angel comes. The angel gives John a picture in Revelation 20 of the final judgment, where the counterfeit trinity, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan himself, are cast into the lake of fire. The dragon counterfeits God. The beast counterfeits the lamb. The false prophet is a shame, Holy Spirit. The harlot is a fake church. The judgment of the wicked happens, all of those outside of Christ. But the Bible doesn't end with the end of the world. It ends with the beginning of a new world for all those who are in Christ by faith. Jesus says, I am making all things new. The world was created through the Son. It is upheld by the Son, and it will be recreated upon the return of the God-man. People speculate about heaven. Heaven is not somewhere over the rainbow. It's not when you wish upon a star. It's not floating on clouds and playing harps. It's not escaping this body. Heaven will be a physical reality, a new heaven and a new earth. When Jesus comes back, it won't just be a small cleanup job. It also won't be entire annihilation. It'll be a complete transformation of this present earth. Like a caterpillar kid's turning into a butterfly. Like a seed that becomes a tree. Jesus will come down and bring heaven down to earth and recreate it and make it new and your body will be raised. It'll be like the Lord Jesus in his resurrected body. Heaven will be a physical place, a heaven and earth, which means the intermediate state right now is not to be confused with the final state. Heaven right now is where God is. It is not yet a new earth. It is where Christ reigns and rules. When you and I die, we don't go to the new creation yet. Our body goes to the ground where it deteriorates and awaits the resurrection. Our soul will go to be with the Lord, and one day our soul and body will be reunited. Christ will return, not only to save individuals, but the entirety of creation groans, awaiting the day of his return. The picture of this is also of a city. Earlier we read of God's promise to Abraham of offspring and land. Hebrews says Abraham was looking forward to the city whose builder and maker is God. God's promise to Abraham of the promised land will be fulfilled here in the new heaven and new earth. A city that, remember this is apocalyptic language, has walls over 200 feet thick that has dimensions that are 1,400 miles wide and high and long, like from here to Seattle. A city that is safe and secure, that can't be attacked 
like the old Jerusalem was, from enemies. Satan and sin and death cannot enter this city. God's people are in covenantal intimacy with the Lord in this city. And the dimensions of the city are of a perfect cube. What does that remind you of, kids? In the Old Testament, the temple was in this shape, the place where God's presence dwelt. God himself, his presence, gives the city its splendor. And the new Jerusalem is not only a city, but it is the bride. Do you see how in apocalyptic images are mixed? That's this kind of language, this literature. The new Jerusalem is the bride. You are the new Jerusalem believers. The people of God will dwell there, and they are. From every tribe, tongue, and nation, the city. As a bride, beautifully dressed and adorned for her husband. The Son of God has come, as it were, from heaven to a faraway land to rescue you, his bride. The image came to my mind this week of one of our members who went to a faraway land this year, his home country, to marry his bride. That brother is doing well, he and his bride, in that church, in a very persecuted land where the church is growing. Maybe you're living today under a crushing burden of shame. Maybe you've tried to reform your ways and you failed. You've tried to escape, to drown your sorrows. You feel dirty and guilty and unashamed. You think, how could anyone love me? You turn to the Bible, loved ones, and you see if you would turn for mercy and forgiveness of sins to Jesus, he will betroth you to himself in love. He will say, I take you to myself. Trust me, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've forgiven your sins. They were red, but now they're white, like the snow outside on this beautiful white Christmas. Heaven will be a world of love. The image of heaven is a wedding. The love between the bridegroom, Jesus, and you, his bride. The love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you and your Savior will never end. Christmas is about that promise. Secondly, what's the promise of this new heaven and new earth? One pastor said, when he does marriage counseling, he asks the couple, what do you most look forward to in being married? Interesting. It'd be interesting to hear what people say when you're dating, after one year of marriage, after 50 years of marriage. What would you say? What do you most look forward to in being married? Most people would say, being together. You're not alone when you go to bed and wake up. There's someone who's there with you. You're reading books and you're side by side. You're sitting at the breakfast table side by side, enjoying life together. Do you look forward to seeing Jesus one day? People think about heaven and they look forward to seeing their loved ones perhaps. And that's a good thing. But what we most look forward to is not the new creation, as marvelous as that will be, but the greatest gift who is God himself. 
being with Jesus, our fellowship with the Lord will far surpass anything in this life. God will dwell with us, Revelation says. He is our God. We are his people. That's been the promise throughout the scriptures. In Genesis, in the tabernacle, when God dwelt with his people. And now most fully in Christ who has come to dwell or to tabernacle, John 1, we read, among us. Jesus has two natures, divine and human. According to his divine nature, he is eternal, unchanging, beyond space and time, with infinite wisdom, power, knowledge, sovereignty, beauty, and glory. God is overall. He does all according to his good pleasure. And everything you can say about God, you can say about Jesus, this one man writes. Unchanging, eternal. For us and for our salvation, he descended to the womb of Mary. He did not change. He took on our flesh by the power of the Spirit. His divine nature did not stop being divine. He remains true God. But he took our flesh upon himself. He carries the DNA of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary and David and Abraham. He carried all our weaknesses. He's like us in every way except for sin. Born under the law. Fulfilling the law. For us, in our place. This union of divine and human did not change the nature of divinity or humanity. They are distinct, yet united in a way that our Lord Jesus is one person in two inseparable, unconfused, unchangeable, indivisible natures. Why does that matter? Because you can come to Jesus. He understands your weakness. You come to him and you come to God. He is your mediator in his person. Born to die for you, rise from the dead, carry our sorrows, redeem us by his divine power. If he's not divine, he has no power to save or raise the dead or bring a new creation. If he's not human, he could not have died and we're still under God's judgment. If he were two persons, there's no mediator. We have no fellowship with God. But who is that mediator who is in one person, both true God and true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, freely given to you, Christian, for your salvation. One day you will see him as he is. You will be made like him. Heaven is where Christ is. It is the eternal bliss of communion with the God-man. And do you know that you already experience that now in part? If anyone is in Christ, new creation. You are right now, as those in Christ, seated spiritually in the heavenly places, When a sinner is converted and brought out of darkness into light, we see a picture of this new creation. But it's just touching the outskirts, so to speak, of the suburbs of the city of the new Jerusalem. 
in the new creation, when God enters into the marriage covenant with his bride, what was aimed at in Eden, Genesis, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and in the church will be finally realized. God will dwell with us, and there will be no more. Do you see that in verse 4? What's life like there? What's life like here? It's full of sin and trials and tears and sickness. Some of our loved ones aren't here today. They're, they're homesick. Pain and death. But one day these things will be no more. The old and former things will pass away. There will be no more sea. Not meaning that there won't be water or oceans in the new heaven and new earth. Remember, this is apocalyptic language. What is the sea a symbol of in the Old Testament? Chaos, evil. There will be no more of that. No more disease or miscarriages or cancer. No more migraine headaches or crime or murders in malls. No more indwelling sin in our hearts. No more pride. No more selfishness. No more anger. No more anxiety attacks and anxiety panic attacks keeping us up at night. No more guilt or sadness or loneliness. No more evil. No more possibility of a fall. Because there is no sin and no evil, there is no death. Why? The reversal of the curse of Genesis 3 happens through the work of the last Adam. Jesus says in verse 5, it is so certain, write this down. The promise is spoken as if it's already been fulfilled, loved ones. On this day, the words recorded for you in Revelation will be seen to be true because he who says it is the Alpha and the Omega. It is God, the beginning and the end. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus by faith and trust him? Third, the people of this new heaven and new earth. Revelation tells us Heaven is the holy of holies, the new creation. And who will live there? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The unclean and the liars will be excluded. And when we read that in Revelation 21, we confess in our hearts, I am murderous, I am cowardly, I am unclean. Christ, though, was never cowardly or murderous. And my passport to entry to the heavenly city is not my effort. It's not me or you cleaning ourselves up. It is the gift of God's grace. The city comes from above. You don't climb to it. It comes down from God out of heaven. It's a gift of grace to those who are thirsty. Imagine the most thirsty place you've ever been. This summer we were in Joshua Tree National Park and it was hot and we had some water, but you could see how pretty soon you could be parched really fast, right? Thirsty. John himself wrote of a woman who was thirsty at a well. Jesus promised her waters 
that if she would drink of them, she would never thirst again. Jesus says, the fountain of living waters are for you. And the price of this, you always want to know, what's the cost? How much is it going to be, right? What's the bottom line? What do I have to pay? For us, it's a gift of grace. Costly for the son, free for you. Come, you who have no money, Isaiah says. Come, buy, and eat. Without cost, apart from your works, all of grace. Why? Because Jesus on the cross suffered a cosmic thirst. He said, I thirst so you could drink forever of the waters of eternal life in him. He will satisfy your soul. His blood was shed. He has clothed you with his righteousness. He is the message of Christmas. The manger leads to the cross. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. The cross leads to the resurrection to the ascension, and to the return of Christ. And this is the message we proclaim. Go tell it on the mountain. You have joy today, loved ones, to offer everyone the world over. We pray, God, help me not to be a coward. Forgive me for my unbelief. Open my mouth to declare your praise and to speak the truth in love to those who are dying around me that I would tell them that the Son of God was promised at the beginning of the world. He came and crushed the serpent's head. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He has taken away our sins. And this offer of good news is to those who live everywhere where the curse is found. That's the whole world over. There is no place in this fallen world where the curse is not found. You have a message of joy, dear Christian, to bring to the whole world. What do we do to benefit from this one who has come into the world? As we will sing, we receive him as our king. Not as our buddy, but as our Lord, as the one true God. Receive him, O sinner, and trust him by faith. Do you have eyes to see? Do you behold him and look on him and believe in him? This is your blessed hope. You go forth from here, Christian, with great hope. It changes how you live now and forever. The weary world rejoices because of this Savior. You live for Christ. You are his servant like Mary. And so as the world's mindset is dominant, as the world's economy is crashing, Burke Parson says, This promise of heaven gives you joy even when you are unhappy. For Christians, the greatest happiness in this life is knowing that our greatest happiness is not in this life. While the world keeps trying to console itself that everything will be okay, We know that for those who are in Christ, everything will not just be okay. Everything will finally and fully be perfect. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Christian, press on. Persevere. 
You overcome by faith in Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing of this joy that we have, joy to the world, on page 8 as we stand.